I want to invite you this morning to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 is our focus today. We're going to be, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to focus on the first four verses of Ephesians. We are concluding a series we started at the beginning of the year called Creature of Habit, in which we're exploring how um, God provides or the blueprint that God has given you and I to, um, in pursuit of Christ-likeness, shed in or break in those old, sinful, self-centered, self-serving habits that tend to creep up or tend to try to dominate in our lives. And there's a story I wanted to quickly share with you before we go into today's message. It's a story about three apprentice devils who were coming to the earth to finish their apprenticeship. And they were talking to Satan, the chief of the devils, and they were talking about their plans to tempt people, to ruin people. And so the first one said to Satan, I will tell them that there is no God. Satan said, that will not delude or deceive many, for they know that there is a God. The second said, I would tell men that there is no hell. Satan has answered, you would deceive no one that way, because men know even now that there is a hell for sin. The third said, I would tell men that there is no hurry. To which Satan says, go, and you ruin men by the thousands. It is my firm belief, friends, that probably one of the most dangerous delusions is one that suggests to you and I that we have plenty of time. I told this before in previous messages. I was, I, when I was growing up, I had a best friend, and it was our aspiration that we were going to rule the world. But at the age of 10, he died. And, and at that stage of our lives, I mean, we, we looked at life as being way ahead of us. We had so much time. We had so much opportunity. We, had, we, had, we, had, we were going to live long and fruitful lives. At least that was our expectation. But, but when my friend passed away, I was reminded that life is finite. When the Bible says that we are like uh, a mist or a wind, I mean, we are literally here today. We're gone tomorrow. We cannot take for granted the fact that every second that we've been given is an opportunity for us to live out the purpose and plan that God has for our lives. Why? Because we have a finite existence. God knows how many days he has ordained for us to live, but we don't. And because we don't know how many days have been ordained for us, it is important that we learn to maximize the days that God gives us and to, and to use them wisely in a way that honors him. So as we conclude this series, Creature of Habit, where we are talking about how to embrace Christ-honoring habits by breaking the influence and power of sinful, self-serving habits, I want to remind you once again about the importance of being urgent. In, in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says that in light of the call that God has placed on our lives, and I would encourage you, every scripture I give you, please go back on your own and read it. Don't just take my word for it. Go back and read it and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you beyond even what I will share in it in the course of a message. But if you look at the context of Romans chapter 13, chapter 13, you're going to see that the Apostle Paul is addressing believers and he's telling them that one of the greatest ways that you and I can demonstrate our commitment to the Lord, our love for the Lord, our loyalty to the Lord is by our, our love for God and our love for one another. And he talks about how challenging it is for us to... Um, to often fall into the temptation of, of expressing love in a selfish way. And then we must be reminded that the love that God calls us to express is a, self, is a, is a, is a selfless kind of love. 
And, and so as we are called to, to embody this selfless kind of love, not only to, in our response to God, but in our response to each other, Paul says in verse 11 that we are to love, we are to express the love that God has called us to, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, Paul says, salvation is nearer. Everybody say nearer. Paul says salvation is nearer to you and I than when we first believed. What is he saying? Paul is saying that with every moment that passes, when, from when we gave, gave our hearts to Christ until he calls us home, we are approaching the moment where we are to answer to the Lord for how we have lived. The moment where we are, where God says, it is, wait, wait, where God says your tenure, the time on the earth is done. We can act as if we have the rest of our lives. Our expectation may be that we're going to live for decades more. But what the Bible is saying to you and I is, is that with every waking moment that we are nearer to that point of salvation. When he says salvation, he's not talking about when you came to Christ. He's talking about a future salvation. When, when Christ calls us home, do you realize that, that when you and I came to faith in Christ, we were saved. Yes, we were, we were given a new nature, given a new identity, right? But, but this state that we're in is not God's final destination for us. There is going to come a day where either he calls us personally, where he calls us but through death, or he will send his son to come back for his church. But there is a promised salvation that we are to look forward to. And so as we anticipate whatever point or plan that God calls us home, we have a responsibility to be aware of the fact that with each passing moment, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. There must be a sense of urgency with, with how we live because we cannot take for granted the days that we are given. I can be here today addressing you and tomorrow I could be gone. And the reality is that God doesn't owe me. He doesn't owe me decades. But what I must have is a perspective that says that every day he gives me is an opportunity for me to live for him and to be a good steward of the time that he has given me. Paul says that the times that we live in make it imperative that as believers, we are putting off the old self. We are putting off the practices of the old self by putting on Christ-likeness. You see, this journey that Christ calls you and I to is about becoming more like him and less like the old selves we were that he saved us from. And the expectation should be for all of us that the longer we are walking with Christ, the less we are looking like the world. But it's not a transformation that's going to take place overnight. It's a, it's a gradual, it's a, it's a, it's a progressive uh, a journey that he calls us to, but it was, it's a journey that, that requires that we must be growing. In the scripture we're about to read this morning, we're going to see Paul identify several keys to suppressing those sinful, selfish appetites that are constantly craving to be satisfied, to be, to be appeased. And he says to us that the key to suppressing those appetites is by developing a greater hunger to be more like Christ. Every single day, your goal, your commitment, your longing is to be more and more like Jesus. And so as you're, as you're evaluating your choices, as you evaluate your decisions, as you evaluate your attitude, as you evaluate your actions... You must always ask yourself this question, is this more a reflection of Christ or is this more a reflection of me? Because that's the litmus test that defines whether or not you and I are maturing or we are regressing. There is no such thing in my mind as a stagnant Christian. It's either you're making progress or you are moving back. There is, there is no stagnancy in, 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 in Christianity. We are either going forward or we're going back. And we must be intentional 
about making sure that those desires and tendencies and appetites in our flesh that crave to be satisfied, that we are, through the power of the Holy Spirit, keeping them in check. And so I want to answer in these next few minutes this question, how do we suppress sinful desires? And the answer to that will be found in the scripture we're about to read, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 4. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. In verse 1, Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Verse 3, But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not be mentioned among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. There's three things that Paul focuses on this morning in these four verses that I want to draw attention to as we, as we consider what it means to, 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 to break away from those old habits, those sinful, selfish habits, so that we can become more and more like Christ. The first thing we see Paul says, say to us is that in our focus, we must set our eyes on Christ as our example and as our standard for how to live for God. When it comes to following Jesus, we looked him as our example, we looked him as our inspiration for how it is to follow the Lord. When you look at Christ's ministry, when you, look, when you read, when you read the, the gospels and narration about the things he did and the, 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 the teachings, the messages he taught, you will see a common theme in everything Jesus talked about, everything he did. It was always about the Father. It was always about doing what the Father wanted. It was always about pleasing the Father. It was always about accomplishing the work that the Father sent him to do. So in Christ, we have this example of what it means to be so in tune with the Father that we are committed to living our lives in such a way that everything about us is directed, about, is directed at who he is and it is influenced by who he is. So Paul says that if we are to suppress those sinful, selfish, self-serving habits in our own lives that do not honor God, that, that, that glorifies self or glorifies sin in our lives, Paul says the way we do that is that we set our eyes on Christ. We're in this race, friends, and the reality is, is that I'm not in competition with you. You're not in competition with me. We're not going to get to heaven and God's going to say, well, you ran your race faster than so-and-so or you ran your race better than so-and-so. God is not comparing you and I to anyone else. Christ is the standard. And so because Christ is the standard, Christ must be our standard. When it comes to how we are to live for God, Paul says we break the hold of sinful, selfish habits when we keep Christ at the fore of our lives. I remember an illustration that just came to mind. Um, I was watching a, a documentary. They were talking about racehorses. And they were talking about how, you know, the different things that these trainers do to get horses to give their very best in running um, against other horses. And one of the things that, that was particularly of interest to me was the fact that um, they, 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 gave, they, they explained what the purpose of those, I don't know what they call them, but they, you ever, have you seen them on those horses where it looks like, it almost looks like a piece of leather that's sticking out from both sides of their face? And it's this idea that you don't want any distraction. So what, what they do is they, they, put these, they put these on these horses so that all the horse sees is what's ahead of them. So that the only focus that that horse has is what's in front of him. Not what's beside him, not what's behind him, only what's ahead of him. And so as I think of that illustration, and, and, and of course we see how these horses, when, when, when they're racing, how much they run and, and, and the, the, the energy and stamina that's used. For me, it's an illustration of, 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 of the race that you and I are called to run. 
Why? Because Satan's desire is to distract. Satan wants us to, to, to get put in other, other to, to get, to get our, our focus and attention on other things that are not as spiritually expedient or spiritually urgent in our lives. And, and on the surface, they may seem like things that are okay, the things that are good, things that are right. But yet we need the Spirit of God to help us to discern what our focus must be on. And friend, if in how you live, in what you say, in what you do, how you treat people is not centered around the example that Christ has given you, you need to reevaluate what you're doing. If what you're doing is not reflective of who Jesus is, you need to reevaluate what you are doing. So in our focus, Paul says, if we are to break these old habits, Christ must be our example. Christ must be our standard. Do not put any person on a pedestal. And make them your example. In fact, you notice Paul many times in the scriptures would tell those that he mentored, those he discipled. He would tell them, follow me as I follow Jesus. What he's implying is this. If I am not following Jesus, then I'm not worth being followed. And too many times, even in the church, we follow people. We follow people and we're not, we're not making sure that these people are following the Lord. We're not, we're not doing our own homework of ensuring that what they teach, what they, what they preach, how they live is consistent with who Christ is. Jesus must be the standard. He must be the example. I mean, thank God for the influence that God has provided by way of people that he's brought into our lives to speak into us. You are that for somebody. But realize that you are not the standard. They are not the standard. Jesus is the standard. So in suppressing those desires, we must always make Christ our Example and standard. And here's the second thing that, we, that Paul shows us. That in our lifestyle, we are to reject behavior that does not promote the character of Jesus. Paul mentioned in verse, verse 3, he said, there's certain lifestyles, there's certain behaviors, there's certain, certain choices that, are, that are, are being practiced by, those, by people around you that should never be present or mentioned among believers. Did, did, you, did you catch what he said in verse 3? He said sexual immorality or any impurity or greed. Now, he's not, before we suggest that Paul is only addressing these issues, Paul is saying this to cover every issue that, that calls into question who we are or who we are following, whether it is Christ or self. He says none of these things must even be mentioned among you. In other words, Paul is saying that when unbelievers identify you, when they see you, that it should not be said that believers are indulging willingly in the very things that they claim or profess to believe that Christ died to save them from. Jesus did not die on the cross so that you and I can continue to live a life of enslavement to sin. He died to set us free from the power of sin. He died to set us free from the influence of sin. Now, does it mean that we are not tempted? Does it mean that we don't sometimes fall? Of course. We're not excused in any of those. Why? Because we're in the flesh. And, and I, how grateful I am for the Holy Spirit and its constant companionship because, trust me, friend, outside of the Holy Spirit's help and influence, I would give in to my sinful desires and sinful appetites every single day. But it is the Holy Spirit that serves that check. And it is the Holy Spirit that reminds us that our behavior is meant to promote the character of who Christ is, that it should not be ever said of us that we are willingly walking in sin, willingly walking in disobedience, that we are excusing things we should not do that do not honor God or do not please God, and that somehow we think that maybe if we're doing other things uh, you know, that, that quote-unquote are considered you know, a, a, a Christian, that somehow God will overlook the things that we're, we're willfully walking in. 
We cannot claim to be followers of Christ and yet we're living a life that contradicts who he is. It was something that Jesus wanted his disciples to understand while he was here on earth. He wanted them to understand that, guys, you, you represent me. And, and, and what you say, what you do matters. And even after he went back to heaven, we see expressed through the words of the apostles and, 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 and the disciples you know, to, to the body of Christ, reminding them that we are meant to emulate, we are meant to follow his example so that when others see us, they see Christ in us. What would the world say when they, when they, when, 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 if, 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 you, if they were to be asked to give the opinion of you? What is it about you that sticks out to those who do not know Christ? Could they point things in your life, in my life, that are a contradiction of who Christ is? See, these are the kind of questions we need to be asking ourselves. This is the question that we need to be exploring as we talk about what it means to promote the character of Christ. And it's not something that I can come and tell you, you, need to, you, you, you have to change it, because I don't know everything that's going on in your life. Nor do you know everything that's going on in my life. But what we know is that the Holy Spirit is aware of all things. And that you and I can learn to be sensitive to him so that in our lifestyle we are promoting the character of Jesus. Here's the last point. Paul says in our speech, we must be intentional about using our words to reflect our calling in Christ. Paul says there must be no filthy talk. There must be no foolish talk. What does that word mean? Filthiness. Filthiness refers to any word that um, is spoken in a way that, that demeans, that, 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 is, that is impure. He talks about foolish talk referring to any words that uh, that's spoken that, that do not convey wisdom or do not project wisdom. When he says, when he talks about vulgar joking, he talks about any word that any words we speak that dehumanizes people, that 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 demeans people in a way that is that is that is completely opposite of how God sees people, how God desires to treat people. Paul says these must not be in our lives because they don't fit our lives. When you and I were growing up, you probably had the chance to play with those toys where they would give you different shapes of objects and you had this, this template and you had to identify which, which shape went into which, right? And we all know no matter how hard you try to force a, a, square, a, square, a square shape into a, into a triangle, it was not going to go. No matter how hard you try to force it, no matter how much you willed it to do so, it was not going to go because it's not the right fit. And in the same way, the Bible says that there is a fit that God has defined for you and I. There is, there is a template that God has provided for how he wants us to live, who he wants us to become. And when we try to take the things of the world that do not fit with the things of God, it will never match. And there are too many believers that are going through, their, they're, they're going through this, this journey and trying to fit things into their lives that do, that do not belong in our lives. God is saying to us, we must be intentional about using our words to reflect our calling in Christ. Everything about us must, be, uh, must reflect who Christ is. Let me ask you this question, and it is not a rhetorical question. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And do you believe that in following Christ that you are called to live a life that glorifies Christ? So then the question for each one of us then is, what are the things in our lives that do not glorify Christ? Because we know those things. And the reason I say that is because too often we make excuses for those things. We justify those things. We suggest that, well, it's not that big of a deal. But here's the thing, friends. Those things that we allow to linger, to, to hang around in our hearts will eventually take over. I remember 
passage to say many, many years ago that you give the devil an inch, he will take a mile. All he needs is an opening. And too many times we allow the enemy to have an opening in our lives because we've so in our minds discounted the seriousness of, 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 of that area of compromise that we think it's never going to be a big deal, that we're in control. But by the time we realize that that was never the case, it is often too late. We find ourselves making choices, making decisions that take us down a trail that, brings, that takes us from God's will for our lives, but brings hurt into our lives, brings regret and sorrow into our lives. That's not God's will for you and I. We're talking about what it means to embody Christ-likeness. We're talking about what it means to, to, to become more and more like Christ. Well, that, that involves, brothers and sisters, asking the Holy Spirit to search your heart so that if there's anything that you are doing, that you are saying, attitude in your heart, whether it be in response to God or to, in response to others, you need to check your heart. And you need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. And, and here's the thing, friends. I believe with all my heart that God is a God of, of, of accountability. What he reveals to us is an invitation for us to allow him to change in us. Because one day we're going to give, an ex- we're going to give account. And we're not going to be able to say, God, I did not know it was wrong. God, I did not know that I shouldn't do that. No, we knew. But we chose to continue to press on in, in a way of rebellion. God is saying to you and I, that if we are to become more and more like Christ, there are things in our lives that need to die. What needs to die in your life? That's a question that I'm having to ask myself every single day. God, what, is, what needs to die in me today? And that I say, God, I place myself at your mercy because I believe that the change that is needed, you can bring that change about. God is inviting us into a life, friends, not a, not a perfect life, not a, not, a, not a problem-free life. That's not the goal. But he's inviting us into a life that embodies more and more who Christ is and helps a watching world know that a relationship with Christ, it makes a difference. That knowing Jesus matters. And, and that as, as we walk in relationship with Christ, that we not only get to experience him in this life, but that we have eternity to look forward to. You know, when, when a saint is called home, to me, it's, it, I, 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 I am envious in the sense that they're experiencing things that that I can only imagine. They're experiencing a reality that I can only imagine. A freedom that I can only imagine. But yet we, we, we can look forward to the same. Why? Because we have Christ. And so on our way to heaven, I would say to you, ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. What in you needs to die? What in you needs to be let go of? And allow God to take you on this journey of helping you become more and more like Him. Again, it's not about you trying your hardest to prove to God how good a Christian you are. But it's about you saying, God, take my life and use it to do what you want to, what, what you want to accomplish through my life. And in the process, God, change me. Change me. And can I tell you, that's a prayer God will not, God will not refuse. He will respond wholeheartedly to a heart that is open to Him. I want to challenge you to love selflessly, live honestly, walk devotedly, speak wisely. That's what it means to to embody Christ-likeness. That's what it means to become like Jesus. When we follow his example, when we choose to live our lives in a way that honors him, that glorifies him, when we are committed to align our character to reveal who he is, and when we're committed to saying, God, what I speak, how I live, how I act, that everything about me would be for your glory. Is that your desire this morning? That's my prayer for every one of us here today. 
And I would say this in closing, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I, I hope, I pray, that in the course of today's message, you've come to realize that what I'm not speaking about is simply a change in behavior. What I'm not simply speaking about is a change in your attitude. But what I'm speaking about is, is, is a recognition of our need to be so connected to the one who created us for himself and created us for relationship with himself and reviews over and over and over in his word to us that, that who he wants us to be can never become a reality unless we completely give ourselves over to him. God's desire is that you and I enter into a relationship because it is in that context of a relationship that the transformation begins to take place. It is in the context of a relationship that an awareness of our need for him and our, our shortcomings, our deficiencies is brought to, brought to light and we're able to say, God, have your way in me. God, do in me what only you can do. And that God by his spirit can move in our hearts and lives. And it begins by simply saying, Jesus, I, I need you in my life. I don't, I don't, I don't just want to know about you. I, want, I truly want to know you because I believe that transformation takes place because of knowing you. And that you cry out to him and believe that he will meet you at your place and point of need. You acknowledge you're a sinner. You acknowledge you need God's forgiveness because there's nothing you can do to address your sin issue. And that you believe that when Christ died on the cross, he died to pay for your sins. And that the response, your response is to say, Jesus, thank you for taking my place. And that I believe that because of him, I can be who God wants me to be. I want to invite everyone to bow your heads with me as we pray this morning. And I think it's important for me to give opportunity to those who would say, Pastor John, my desire today is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want him to change my life. I don't want to live from day to day wondering what I am supposed to be living for, what what I'm supposed to be motivated by. I truly want to find my purpose, and I believe that, that God created me for purpose, and I want to know that purpose through knowing Jesus. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me, and, and beyond just simply praying this prayer, I want to invite you to meet it in your heart, make it yours, as you cry out to the, our Heavenly Father today, and believe that as you respond to Him in faith, and you respond to him in trust and confidence that he will meet you in your place and point of need. And he will do what nobody can do. Not what even you can do by yourself. But it begins with us acknowledging our need for him today. And so with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to ask you to pray with me this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you this morning for the opportunity you have given me to respond to you today. Thank you for reminding me of your word that you created me to know you. And that your desire is to change me from within. I come to you acknowledging today that I cannot change myself. That I cannot, I cannot simply change my, 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 my behavior. But that, Lord, I, my, my nature must be changed. And it is only through knowing Jesus that I can live a new life. I come to you confessing today that I am a sinner that I'm one who has walked in disobedience to the will of God, but that I was created to walk with God. And I reject that life of sin. I turn my back to that life of sin, and I embrace the life that Christ gives me today. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy that is extended by way of the cross. I invite you into my heart today, and I ask you to change my life. And help me to live for you. Help me to walk with you. Help me to know you. And help me to make you known. Thank you for giving me a new life in Christ. Thank you 
for a new journey with you, a journey of growth, a journey, a journey of change, a journey of transformation. And thank you for making me your own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And Father, this morning I want to pray for everyone who is seated under, under the sound of my voice. God, thank you for the call you've placed on all of our lives. A call to know you. A call to know you better and better. God, I pray that you help us, Lord, to always be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and direction. As he brings to our awareness those areas of our lives that need to die, those areas of our lives that need to, that we need to let go of God and surrender to you, God, I pray. Help us, Lord, to not hold on to those things that do not fit in our lives. Help us, Lord, to cling to you. Help us to make Christ our example, our standard, and to pursue him with every fiber of our being. Lord, may the character of Christ, Father, be embodied in us, Lord. May the character of Christ be revealed through us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be people who are walking in newness of life every single day. So that when people see us, Lord, when they encounter us, Lord, that God, they see Christ and that they are drawn to Christ. We give you glory, God, for what you are going to do, not just in this place, but even when we leave this place today, God, and we step out into the highways and byways of life, Lord, and we encounter, Father God, those who are not in Christ. God, may we, Father, may we help them to know that, that there is hope in Jesus and that there is change in knowing Christ. Father, help us to be salt and light. Help us to embody all you are. And may your name be glorified in all of our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen.